uh, she is uh, dating Colin Jost. Scarlett Johansson. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, That's the clue? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Lainey Louie. I'm a blogger and a talk show host and an entertainment reporter. And I, yeah, I'm obsessed with work. I'm Duanna Taha. I'm a television screenwriter and producer, and we've been obsessing about the behind-the-scenes work for as long as we've known each other. Welcome to Show Your Work, a show that will not disparage, quote, hustle culture. And on this episode, we are talking about Gabrielle Union. Everything that has gone down between her and Simon Cowell and NBC and is still going even as we speak, we dig into it all and what it means. We also dig into John Boyega losing a copy of the script for Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, and somehow we relate him to Tom Holland. Ha! And we spent time with one of our surprise favorite broads, who even after all this time can still surprise us. That would be Jamie Lee Curtis. Let's get started. Let's get to work. Dakota Johnson interview on Ellen. Yeah. And how it was the most awkward interview ever. Like, I didn't quite see it as that awkward. No, I didn't either. But it got me to thinking because once upon a time, you were a producer who interviewed people. Oh, yeah. And I want to know who your most awkward interview was because I've talked about mine extensively, Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. So... I know you have a story. I do, but the most embarrassing story, which trumps them all by miles, I was not actually doing the interviewing. My first ever interview as a, like I had been an intern and then I was graduating to get to produce the whole segment, was a whole day uh, shopping at the Bay, which was a, uh, which is a Canadian department store, yeah. right? Like a like a Nordstrom or whatever. During Christmas or for a Christmas themed half hour with 98 degrees. <laughs> Give me just one night. Um I I wonder if you're thinking like we're talking around there. Look, their albums what are mean? Uno Noche, right? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. But their albums are utterly forgettable. Their Christmas album still kicks. And I that could be Stockholm Syndrome, but it's really good. It's better than the 98 degree, or 
It's better than the NSYNC Christmas album. It is a really, really good Christmas album. You've built this up so much that even my dogs have come upstairs to listen. So I was young. Like, I probably was in and around their prime fan age. Yeah. And so uh, not Nick Lachey, not Drew Lachey, not Jeff Timmons. (laughs) I love that you know, because I only know Nick Lachey. Justin somebody. (laughs) Okay. Okay. There were four. There were four. Yeah. And Justin, who was very nice, said to me, uh, hey, this is cool. You're doing this. This is great. Um, So have you heard the album? Now. Now. I'm already, I'm already cringing. If. You have not heard the album. As somebody who has done many, many, many of these, what's your go-to answer? What do you say? Yeah, it's great. I love it. Right. So that's what I said. <laughs> okay. 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 I'm dying. You know, My dog is dying. Like he, like. Oh, I your dog said. is hanging out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you know what he said next? Um, what's your favorite song? That's correct. Yes. <laughs> Because this happens, you better be prepared because they want you to have watched the movies or have seen the first episode or whatever, and they always quiz you. I was young. I didn't do that level. I had done all the homework on every shot we were going to do, every setup, every whatever. Uh I even had the CD in my bag, but when the question came… What is your favorite song? Do you know what my answer was? Um, it was Jingle Bells. No, no. <laughs> that would have been a good answer. Uh, but it was, I believe this, this actually may have been Christmas, but before their Christmas album. Anyway, I said, oh, uh, the single. like it, The one that's on right now oh, on the radio. I am dying for you. Yeah, you should. And? And he sort of smiled in a way that said… You're uh, full of shit. You're full of shit, but I'm going to let you get away with it. Okay. If that had been it, it oh, would have been fine. Fuck. What else happened? So we go through the day. I mean, I'm… I don't How think did I've... you not tell me this after… I think we've known each other for 15 years now. I don't know. It's it's because it's… You buried it. It's pretty deep, yeah. for sure. It's a wound. So then, again, remember, this is my very first time producing. You know what we do here. We're all about work, right? Yes. So I am… I'm working hard. I'm talking very efficiently to grown-ups much older than me. Yeah. I'm trying to get things going. I know going. what you sound like and, like, you know, your gestures to look and sound important. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I was sweating and so forth. So uh, it involved a lot of different interstitials, you know, like little segments and throws to break and that kind of thing. My favorite Christmas song is yeah. blah, 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 and we'll yeah. be right back after the This is the a break. special. We should, like, make sure that people understand, like, you're producing a special. Half-hour special? Yeah, it was a half-hour. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to be so contextual that somebody goes and looks this up because I'm still <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> but uh, somebody had a stand-up to do, and we'd been averaging, like, maybe it takes people three or four takes to to get the line out, right? Like right. there's a certain way you have to say it and then it's, you know, yeah. we'll be right back after the break. You get the idea, yeah. you know. So 
I don't know if I was prepping somebody for the next segment or whatever, but they'd been rolling on something while my back was sort of turned. And then somebody said, oh, Duanna, we're ready to go to the next segment. And I turned around, I'm pretty sure, to Nick Lachey and said, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Done already? Wow, you guys are all one-hit wonders today. Oh, the sound you just heard was me actually just face palming. You still haven't actually raised your face up. Of course, what I meant was one take. One take wonder is a known (laughs) thing and a known phrase. Um, Thank you. I, I look. They, it yeah. was a long time ago, but I nothing has ever come close. Listen, this is show your work. We're talking about work stories. Oh and yeah, recovering or not from mortifying experiences. Mortifying. Um, and I didn't even real. I didn't even realize it was holiday themed until we started talking. But there you are. I love that you gave us a work story that was also holiday themed. This is our first episode of December 2019. We are all in the jingle spirit right now, and. Thank you for what an what a wonderful opening, Duanna. Yeah, it's all great for you, but now I need to pour some wine to like tamp down the cortisol <laughs> that has just come roaring back some X number of years later. You're fine. I, yeah, I feel okay about it. I feel like uh, the boys and I have all been through a lot of highs and lows since then. I think it's fine, but that is still the one that echoes as the most awkward in my mind. Well, hey, you do not look as bad as NBC right now. Look at your segue. Uh, Thank you. I mean, that's nicely done. That was a one-take wonder right there. Well, this story has held, and it broke basically an hour after we recorded our last episode. Which was before uh, or on American Thanksgiving, so last Thursday. Yeah. It broke the night before, like Thanksgiving Eve. That's right. So this, of course, is the story of Gabrielle Union, um, who had been released with Julianne Huff from America's Got Talent a few days before. And then last Wednesday, Variety broke the story. Well, I actually should say Love B. Scott was the website that first reported that Gabrielle Union had been not invited back to AGT because... She was consistently pointing out flaws in the corporate culture uh, behind the scenes at the show. Sure. She was seen as difficult. Difficult in quotes. And then uh, Yashar Ali, I think later on that day, was the one who did a long uh, tweet thread, or maybe on Thanksgiving Day, did a long thread that was all about uh, the sort of Stepping out each uh, allegation or each uh, behind-the-scenes sort of intel that he got, right? Yeah, reported – and also reported it on Vulture. So – Yes, but listen, I live and die by Twitter. (laughs) So I don't know that we have to, right now, recap the fine points of the reporting. Suffice to say, she consistently reported flaws in the culture um, at America's Got Talent, and uh, she, you know, was given notes about – her race uh, related to her style. Well, I just want to pause you before we go on. I get you that we don't need to litigate each and every point, but I want to talk about what you said, that she was criticizing the culture. Yeah. Because everything that she was criticizing, with one exception that I think we'll get to, was 
actively about the production of the show. Mm-hmm. Hey, these are things that should not be happening during the course of actually taping the show, right? Yes. Like not just, uh, I don't know, I don't like the lighting in here or whatever, your interns look snarky. It was about things that were actively happening to go on the show or not, as it were. Well, it was, yeah, you're right. It was things that would have ended up on the air. Yes, People would have watched these really inappropriate comments that were made or inappropriate performances. She was essentially protecting the show from judgment and from criticism and from backlash. Like if that Jay Leno joke, so FYI, right, if you haven't all, you don't all know, there was a joke, Jay Leno was a guest on the show, he made a joke about a painting that uh, Simon Cowell had and he made a joke about animals and Korean restaurants. Typically a stereotype that is raised around Asian food. If that had gone to air… Yeah, because he was doing it during the course of taping… That's right. …a segment… She was right to say, hey, we can't do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Her other concerns had to do with, yeah, the the talent that were chosen on the show or not that were talent America could get behind, yeah. like euphemism theirs, right? Yeah. So let's start with uh, the fact that she was there to help. How do you mean? When you're Gabrielle Union, as you said… First and foremost, a lot of the um, consistent issues that she was raising was about how the show would be presented, right? Yeah. So she was there to say, I want to make this a better show, but I also want to make this a show that isn't criticized and dragged if this shit goes to air. That's helping. Uh, Yeah, it's helping. I mean, I'm only hesitating because I can see a world in which People who have been on the show for how many seasons now? 14? Something. Would be like, oh, like you're brand new and now you have suggestions to help us. We've been fine. We've been number whatever in the ratings. Like, thanks. Well, they haven't, P.S. I mean, no, they haven't. But you know and I know and anybody who's worked anywhere knows how it is when outside people come in with suggestions, right? Yeah. So, yeah, she was there to help. Even if I'm being cynical or in a self-serving way towards Gabrielle Union, I'd say she was doing things that she wanted not to be associated with a show that had her face on it. Yeah. That's the most selfish uh, interpretation. Fair? I agree with that to a point, but I think that when she escalated it to human resources, because not only did she want the Simon Cowell or the Jay Leno joke to go to air… But she escalated it to human resources after it didn't air because she was like, hey, some people should know what is offensive to others because this is their working environment. There are very few Asians who work on this program who are actual staff members and their feelings were probably hurt and we can make this a better place for everybody to come to work. Yeah, that it is happened, helpful. Uh, for sure. And that it happened in front of them. And now uh, we kind of have to pause and point out that the reason she… It's helpful, but it's also almost her obligation, right? Because on a show like that, the people who have the standing to say it, they're not the young producers who are like, yes, Mr. Leno, thank you, Mr. Leno. Yeah. Walk up and down Mr. Leno and like say something embarrassing to him and probably 
tell it on a podcast 15 years later. Like, she's the one who has the standing to be like, guys, this was not cool. Yeah. This is not cool. And here's how these employees can be made to feel more respected. I just, I'm just trying to, I'm only going back and forth because I'm not trying to make her out to be like a Pollyanna. I think these are really reasonable things to say. It's not like, oh, I would like a perfect, you know, sunshine and roses preschool atmosphere. These are reasonable things that a, that a host or somebody in power is the person to run up the chain. I agree. And I think that someone who has her experience and someone who's brought in to be essentially a leader, she took it upon herself to help the show grow, to make the working environment better. I think that the reason I'm raising this is because a lot of talk has been, you know, we talk a lot about cancel culture, not on this show, but in general, in the general culture. Sure. And I think that a lot of people out there feel like they have to be on edge because they're worried about being canceled. And what I'm saying is her motivation wasn't to have anyone canceled. Her motivation wasn't to have anybody fired. Her motivation wasn't so that someone would lose their job over the Jay Leno joke. Her motivation was actually like, hey, we can make this a better place. We can make this so that these things don't happen and feelings don't get hurt and our show doesn't get fucked up when things go to air because... I actually don't want anyone to get canceled. And I think that is the space, the in-between, the weird nuance that is being missed that a lot of times when we raise criticism, when we raise criticism about somebody, it's not like the first thing is to be like, cancel them, hate them, they suck, they should die. It's, hey, how can we improve things? So maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing uh, an element here because do you, are you hearing online or or in conversations that people are implying, oh, she wanted to get so-and-so canceled? Is that what you're hearing? I think that when she raised these concerns, it was not received in the spirit of she wants to make things better. It was received in the spirit of she's difficult, as we've established, and, oh, I feel threatened. Well, I guess because this is maybe why I was trying to go back and forth between is she helping versus is she self-serving or whatever, a way that I've always been brought up in television and that I hope I'm bringing other people up is that part of what you get from somebody who is experienced, like super experienced in the business, is somebody going, this is bullshit that we do not have to put up with, not just in a an ethical sense, but in terms of to make a good show. Everybody is always trying to make good television, and sometimes you get close. That's the best you can do, right? So part of what she's doing here is going, uh, 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 uh. This is lower quality than our show should tolerate. That's kind of the middle ground that I was trying to get at there is that, yeah, it is to make the show better for sure, make the workplace better and all those things, but not just to be out of the goodness of her heart, but because she's like, I've been around for a minute and this is unacceptable. Like there's a range of things that you tolerate in the name of we got to go to air or it is what it is, but this is not one of them. I, yeah, I think that, I think that my reading of the situation immediately was, fuck, like how are workplaces supposed to evolve and Mm -hmm, improve mm -hmm. in this time of more representation, 
more sensitivity, allowing that, yeah, sometimes the way we used to do things the old way, and I'm guilty of it too, doesn't fly anymore. So is there a space built in to workplaces where we can grow and get better and improve? Well, yes and no, but I think what came next answers a lot of that question. And then we'll maybe go back to it. Okay. So what came next? So then it's announced that she is released from her contract. That's right. And I think, you know, she worked a very short segment of that contract, if I understand correctly. She did the full season. So, but I believe she was contracted for three. Am I making that up? I don't remember reading that, but I mean, listen, I don't think that you know, in this business, we've talked all the time about like options and dot, dot, dot. So yeah, like it, it, it would not be a stretch to think that if it was successful, she'd be asked to come back. Okay. We'll, we'll check it. But the point is when somebody gets fired before the end of their contract, there's usually a pay or play situation is what it's called, which means either you get to play, i.e. work your contract out or you get paid anyway. So when she's fired, it's not like they're saving money. It's not like they're like, oh, well, we're going to claw back that investment. They are losing money to let go of her. And Julianne Huff, who I don't think anybody had anything to say about Julianne Huff, except that she also got her hairstyles criticized, right? Like nobody had anything to say about, oh, Julianne Huff made America's Got Talent difficult. No, I think that it was mostly carried by Gabrielle Union, the way it's being represented now. Yeah, I guess what I'm suggesting is that Julianne Huff was collateral damage to not make it look like they were just firing Gabrielle Union for the sake of firing Gabrielle Union. Maybe, yeah. You just had that shiver that means you're afraid of, like, uh, legal ramifications, but I'll I'll say it. That's just my gut. That's my, uh, call me Julianne Huff. Anyway. She has two other projects at NBC. Right. So. That's a, so. Yeah. So. That's so says a lot of words. Right. And then there's this big outpouring of support. And of course the story breaks and all of, you know, all of these sort of things go down and nothing that is leveled at her in terms of what she said sounds in any way like it's worthy of somebody being fired right? And then today you sent me this uh, response. Well, I should say that when Variety went ahead with its breaking news report, they did include a statement from NBC. And the statement was basically like, we take the concerns um, um, and the well-being of our workplace very seriously. And hey, Gabrielle wasn't asked back because we routinely refreshed the show, right? It was a very like, whatever statement. Uh-huh. Like, we'll jerk it out. hmm Now, after several days of making headlines about, and over the Thanksgiving weekend too, so some people are just waking up to it. It broke on like late Wednesday, Thursday was Thanksgiving. It was still online. But like Monday, the day that we're recording, was the full first business day. But ironically, I mean, that's what maybe made this story have so many legs, yeah. right? Is that Thanksgiving weekend, like you and I are Canadian and Thanksgiving means something different here. But I read 10 articles, if I read 100, that were, what the hell are you going to talk about with your family over tense Thanksgiving tables, right? Yeah. 
America's Got Talent is the thing that everybody can talk about together, Mm -hmm. right? So when this story breaks, it becomes the biggest news story across the entire country, sort of. In entertainment culture, for sure. But also everybody, everybody, everything slows down. Right? But that's kind of what I mean. It's a something that everybody can talk about endlessly that Aside is neither… the football game. Yeah, but it's neither red nor blue. It's not going to cause any trauma the way almost anything else going on in that's the world right. does. So it gets… It yeah. doesn't die down. And so today, NBC releases a statement saying that they're working with Gabrielle and her team to sort out the concerns to make sure that the workplace is, you know, up a safe place for people who are employed at America's Got Talent. So now they're realizing, oh shit, this story, number one, has staying power. We look bad. She looks like a fucking hero. A hero. She deserves to look like. Mm -hmm. All kinds of supporters behind her. Remember, Time's Up has backed her now. So Time's Up officially said, this sucks for her. We stand by her. Ellen Pompeo has like dragged them on Twitter. Deborah Messing, who actually is employed by NBC for Will and Grace, has also come out in support of her. So now they're like, oh, fuck, we couldn't make this go away. And now what? Right. Well, here's the problem, though, with the now what, right? Is that the people who are trying to make it go away aren't just NBC, right? Yeah. It's also coming from Psycho, mm-hmm. which is Simon Cowell's company. Yeah. I don't know the exact production structure of America's Got Talent, but I assume that NBC contracts Psycho Productions or whatever to make the show for them. So essentially, her checks are going to be cut by Psycho Productions. Um, Like, I don't think we need to spell this out, but in fact, she was not an NBC employee, right? It would have been a contract with a studio that was hired by the network. Like, yeah, you sort of work for the network and you sign a big network contract, but at the same time, you're not their employee in the way that you are if you collect, like, a pension Mm -hmm. from NBC, the company. Right. And (laughs) we should also mention that in Yasher Ali's follow-up to the Variety Report, um, in his tweets and in his Vulture piece, he also said that Gabrielle was calling out Simon Cowell's behavior about, like, for instance, the smoking. That he smoked everywhere. Liberally. Um, and that when people complained, he was like, tell me how much the fee is and I'll pay it. Yeah. Like it's 1983 at this point and he's just walking around with a lit cigarette up and down the halls. I haven't actually seen that in a long time. Okay. So I have, I have to say that of all the places where TV and film are behind the times where things don't like that don't fly and other offices still fly. Smoking is one of the last to go. First of all, you're often working in a giant, giant warehouse where they can dress it all up and put sets on and like drape things, but it's otherwise an airplane hanger or Mm -hmm. similar. Yeah. So people feel entitled to sneak off into a corner and smoke. Although it's not fucking winter outside, Simon Cowell, like walk the 10 feet to the door. But of course, then he'd have to smoke with like Johnny P.A. or whomever. And I, I just, I, I, it's the thing that I learned when Mindy Kaling called out uh, the Writers and Producers Guild a little while ago, that if it feels too preposterous to be true, it's probably exactly true. Yeah. And I'll be clear. I'm not some kind of like 
anti-smoking angel. I smoked for a long time. I still love smoking. But you were always a very respectful smoker. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, there are rules. I feel like in buildings now, that's a fucking like no way. Yeah. And look, I people are a lot more hardcore about it on sets in the last, I'd say, five to seven years. The point is she had the balls to be like Simon Cowell, <laughs> who is the boss. Yeah. He literally signs her paychecks. Yeah. Simon Cowell is doing this, that, and the other and violating the work and safety code. How or about just, that? <laughs> can you not fucking smoke near me? You know, which yeah. is a fair thing to ask. He's her boss, but he's also her colleague, right? Yeah. He sits beside her at the judging table. Yeah. Or Diddy. This is where I reveal my America's Got I, Talent. I I don't know either, but I want to close my eyes and look at some of the promo shots that they released, and I feel like she was not sitting beside him. Fine. Anyway, um, all this to say that now NBC and Psycho are speaking in more conciliatory terms. After the rush of support that Gabrielle Union has received, they're like, now we need to do something. Which was what she was asking you to do in the first place. And that's partly because I think they maybe foolishly underestimated how much support she had, right? Like Dwayne Wade said, without, I think, quoting specific numbers, that her social media following and her audience response was the biggest the show had had. I don't know if that can be, like, numerically verified, but I think they sort of finally processed that. Yes? Uh, Yeah. I mean, at least according to Variety, the show has been steadily declining in conventional ratings, but their social media presence and engagement has doubled, and half of that doubling is because of the activity going on in relation to Gabrielle's accounts. Right. And people who reacted positively to her. Yeah. Yeah. Who loved her. It's basically the equivalent of, especially in this day and age, when social media presence is an asset, it's a commodity, therefore it's like a value. It has for them, if you think about it, a financial value that they can attach to it. It's basically making more money for this company and they fire you anyway. Yeah, oh, oh in absolutely. A, in a town that operates on cash money, like everything leads back to money, 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 money above everything, money above morality, as we all know. So that means then that you and I have to do a little role playing. Okay. You're going to be Simon. Okay. And I'm going to be the network. Okay. Okay. Yep. So I'm going to say, hey, Simon. What is this now or no, like a this few is, weeks, like before? This is before. Okay, so got it. Uh, how's it going? How big a check do you want us to write for uh, America's Got Talent next season? Uh, we want more money. Yeah. Great. Here you go. Here you go. And yeah. I guess uh, Gabrielle Union, Julianne Huff, and everybody, they probably want to raise, right? Well, I guess, but we don't have to give it to them. Okay, so so you're just going to have her back at the same level? Because she's really great for us. Her numbers are doing great. Can we start at the same, though? Because, you know, our conventional ratings haven't gone up. Yeah, but but you're having her back is my point, aren't you? Like, she's wonderful. She's really reinvigorated the interest in the show. Well, now here's what I want to talk to you about. Because, like, sure, but, you know, we just have a really great brand. It's our brand. Our brand is the strong one. You know, she... You know, we've been around forever. Like, one person doesn't just come along and, like, 
the show didn't need saving, you know. Let's let's give credit to my team and this show and the brand. Okay, so what are you thinking then? Well, I I think that the brand can survive without her if we need to and um, you know, I'm sure there are other exciting people we can we can bring on who may not be as challenging as Gabrielle. I mean, she did kind of disrupt a little bit, you know, what we were trying to do. So, uh, so you want to shake things up. Is that what you're saying? It, you know, it's never a bad thing, right? To keep things fresh, to give the show a refresh. Why not? Listen, Simon, look, the bottom line is that everybody's really liking what happened this year. Everybody really likes that family of goats that you had on that were tap dancing. So can we have more of that next year? No problem. We'll get, we'll get the goats. I mean, the America has a limitless amount of talent, so we can find the goats and it doesn't matter as long as we bring the talent from America and, and these people with like these everyday people who can do these extraordinary things were great. And there's me, there's me. Okay, so you're going to find, what, some new people to be judges? Because people are really liking her. I, listen, everybody is replaceable, and we can find another dynamic, beautiful woman. Huh. All right, we trust you. As long as you can bring it in under budget, we trust you. Yeah, thanks. But can we get, you know, 8% more? I mean, like, yeah. if, if that's what you need to 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 make it happen, to keep bringing us the show. Yeah, great. Thanks, Tools. Bye. I mean, that was a documentary is what that was. <laughs> Isn't that how it wiggles? Isn't that how it like… I think you were, if anything, more conciliatory than I imagine Psycho Productions to be. But yeah, that is how it goes. Nobody cares about who the human is. They don't care about what's going down on the set. They don't care about, do you actually have legitimate reasons to let her go? They care about, are you going to bring us in more on less money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's the thing, though. They're talking, they're negotiating. Her team is now involved. You don't think she's going back? No. Hell no. In fact, I want to talk about this. I don't think she can go back, and I don't think she will go back. There's no way she goes back. Now, there are half the people reading this, okay, in the public, Twitter is going to be on side with her. At least. Okay. I don't. I haven't seen a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, uh, those sound like terrible complaints and I'm yeah. glad to see her go. But we also know there are people in the shadows. Sure. The people who can relate to the psychos and the NBCs are the other networks, the other executives uh -huh. who may interpret this situation and only see… The money, mm -hmm. the smoothness. So those people make decisions. We don't make the decisions. You and I can have like 18 opinions about this, all of them on side with Gabrielle Union, but we don't fucking make the decisions. Right. So does this affect her? I think yes and no. If I'm Gabrielle Union right now and I'm talking with Psycho Productions, I never set foot on that set again obviously, but I might negotiate myself a few specials to air on NBC of some sort. I don't know what sort, but something that allows me to get one back on them, kind of unfettered by, by him and his company. Yes? Yep. That's part of it. Um, and I mean, she, she does have 
other stuff going on still. So, you know, it's not that she's so desperate for them that she needs them. I don't know. I don't think, look, I don't think anybody in town is like, God, I would love to work with Simon Cowell. What a dream. Nobody thinks that. Everybody thinks Simon Cowell's a moneymaker. So you grit your teeth and get on with it. Yeah. Right? Like that was a shtick at first with Paula Abdul and so forth. And then it became like a real thing. Okay. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. The Bad Boys adaptation that she and Jessica Alba do. Yes. Ellie's Finest. Wasn't that originally an NBC property? This is where we got to get digging here. So it's made by Spectrum Originals, which is the same company that is making the uh, Mad About You reboot. Okay. So I don't know if that answers your question. But what studio was originally going to air it? It switched hands at least once. Yes, it did. Um, For that, we would have to go back into our own pilot uh, (laughs) season episode back in the day. Yeah, so you're right. So uh, L.A.'s Finest, which is a Bad Boys spinoff, um, or a Bad Boys 2 spinoff, uh, was originally made as a pilot for NBC, and then NBC passed on it, and then Sony Pictures TV picked it up, and then uh, it, uh, and then it ultimately, yeah, was going to be aired on Spectrum. And it was actually the first original ser- original series for Spectrum. And uh, it was renewed this summer for a second season, which will air in 2020 sometimes. Okay. So she had an existing relationship with the network. It may not have worked out that way for the show to air, but there were conversations. She had established like at least a door, a path. Can I say the most crass thing ever? Yeah. When something like that is happening where your show might get picked up by a network, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't, but the door is still open or whatever, Mm -hmm. I've heard many people refer to it as uh, sniffing butts, right? This show and this network are sniffing butts, getting to know one another. Yep. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go, but it's not a, it's not a no, it's not a fight. But the butts were sniffed. For sure. The butts were sniffed. And then a couple of years later, she ends up on AGT, which airs on NBC, which yes, the production is outsourced to Psycho, but there's a whole history. My point is here. Yeah. Yes. Look, if they, if NBC didn't like Gabrielle Union, Mm -hmm. neither of these conversations would be in place. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which goes back to the point you were trying to make about appeasement or how to fix, for lack of a better word, this whole situation. Is there a special in the works? Is there some form of, like, what what does she take? So my question to you when you were answering that is, does this hurt her? Because, you know, there are other assholes who are going to read this situation a different way. Is Gabrielle Union difficult? So... No, it's not going to hurt her in the sense that she could continue sniffing butts with NBC and sniff until there is a special or an opportunity. But does she get a job with ABC, CBS, Fox? I mean, here's the thing. Those guys are not the massive players than they were a few years ago. In fact, they now need Gabrielle Union more than she needs them, right? Like Mm -hmm. you said, America's Got Talent has never won the ratings. Right? No. So 
they need her and her Q factor to make the show go and to make people keep watching broadcast television. She didn't need them for years. Being Mary Jane, her show on BET was, yeah, it was on BET. It wasn't on a huge network. But that was the model that now all shows and actors and actresses are following and hoping to follow, right? I hope she's got a ton of stuff in development somewhere that isn't NBC. Or if she does have stuff in NBC, their price to acquire it just doubled, you know? I, 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 yeah, I agree with you to a point in the sense that I think that while it was scary for her in the long run, I really obviously hope that this has only added to her power. Clearly, it's, you know, added to an existing brand that we all know. I mean, like, we've known Gabrielle Union for a long time. A long, long time. Yeah. And I think even people who only sort of casually had a, like, a knowledge of, oh, yeah, there's that girl from, from 10 Things I Hate About You are like now staunch fans, right? Or the people who didn't know that she was married to Dwayne Wade are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I will say, though, that my only little um, question mark about all of this is in the strategy preparation for her and her career, she and her team evidently about a year ago decided that this was going to be the right move, to be on conventional TV on a show that wasn't the winner in terms of reality competition, uh, like talent competitions, that they said, yep, this is the move. And I'm not mad at that move Uh because think of what the American Idol move did for Jennifer Lopez. Not that, hey, not that J-Lo has any, like, needed a catapult. But I think that when you review the long arc of J-Lo's career, which we will actually do soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. you can't ignore the fact that a couple times a week, a few years ago, when J-Lo was being beamed into the living rooms of so many people in America, it did give her another, like, another foundation, another base. A reinvigoration. That's right. Yeah. So I, I don't hate that move when they were a year ago for Gabrielle Union considering it and thinking about it. And that same thinking obviously has changed. But they clearly had, like, a, a list of options in front of them. They laid out strategically where she wanted to take her career. And they were like, hey, this might be the thing. Mm-hmm. And if they're looking for another equivalent similar thing for her to get out on, to capitalize, if you will, not to be mercenary about it, but to capitalize on what's of just happened. Of course you have to capitalize. Yeah, no, that's not mercenary. Then what is it? You know, all we keep talking about is that Apple TV Plus and uh, Disney Plus and so forth, that they don't have a ton of originals yet, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing about non-scripted content is you can make it quickly. Mm -hmm. You can make it fast. You don't have to wait for as many people's schedules to come together. Yeah. And I think that's the move. A Gabrielle Union show that is loosely tied Mm -hmm. to being a social activist yep. uh, or somebody who stands up for what's right mm-hmm. uh, that is branded with her name and her face yep. is the next thing that makes this a, yeah, a real, a real win move. And I don't think, I totally agree with you, and I don't think that it is a crowded field. Uh, there are only so few dynamic 
sparkly personalities who can actually make a living from being themselves and not playing characters. Like she's an established actor. We get that. But not not all established actors can go on social media and develop this other side of their brand that is authentically, quote, authentically themselves and monetize that accordingly. Well, she is bigger than any character she's ever played, That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. And yet you can still trust her to slide into her role. For sure. But it's not where she became known to everybody as this one given character and that's how they see her. Yeah. She is who people want to see her play. That's right. And I think that there are, again, to say that it's not a crowded lane, yet I don't think there are many people like that in in that field. Like Chrissy Teigen comes to mind. Of course. And again, Chrissy Teigen, yeah, is branching out to do her own shit that is all around like Chrissy Teigen, the personality, who Chrissy is, the jokes, the irreverence, the silliness. Like, for example, I… um. I went through a phase that I'm not super proud of a few months ago. I like to just like have things that are boring to watch while I'm working, but not really watch. You know, people do that. And I found uh, Super Nanny very, very calming. And actually, Dwayne Wade showed up on an episode as like a a guest to talk some sense into some kid. But if you want to revive Super Nanny and have Gabrielle Union be the person dispensing parenting advice, not literally going into the suburban right. homes of people, but being herself or talking about what that looks like, or, you know, an undercover boss where she calls out the bullshit that's wrong in your in your world, people would go nuts for that. I would. Like, it's like the thing I haven't watched that I'm most excited to binge this holiday is... Uh, Kristen Bell hosts that show where old high school theater casts get back together. Mm-hmm. Like, is anything ever more Kristen Bell? Yeah. No. But that's what people want to see, I think, is Gabrielle Union being herself. And I think, despite what I just said about children, if if she wants, like, a, a talk show of some sort, I'm sure that's going to be on offer. I think almost what we've learned is people want more of her. So the question is not whether she can get it, but where they're going to go to get that. And to switch gears a little bit, what is the work takeaway if you are psycho in NBC? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, Well, you said early on in our conversation, can things get any better? Can things change? Uh, You know, don't, don't these shows have any times when they can improve or not do things the old way. And I think that the like legit answer not to be a suck up is that often they don't change because the pace is so crazy, right? Because live shows and things that are running on a, on a schedule, um, are too fast paced to actually have a chance to take a look at themselves. But I think this is the answer to that, that they have to either, launch their next season later or do more pre-tapes or otherwise build more into the way the show is run so that producers feel like they can say, hey, something super offensive just happened and so we shouldn't put it to air. Or, hey, we need a better vetting system for our the talent that comes through so that it doesn't all get whitewashed or whatever. I guess that is the broadest interpretation of what they would learn. Why? What do you think? I think that that is the question that I, I, I think about a lot 
especially, you know, when we're talking about workplace culture and all these movements to affect change um, and how we get there and how we keep talking. And it, it seemed so simple to me when I was like this story broke that here you have a person who wasn't like whose intention wasn't to walk around and make accusations. The intention was really like, hey, how can we make sure this doesn't happen again so everybody's happy? Right. And how how people received that versus what her intention was. But you, I don't know where it broke down. Well, you do though. And this is why we talk about the morning show because the answer is not, oh, her her allegations were offensive to people or they weren't or whatever. It's there are a lot of people in a lot of workplaces who just want no noise. And it's not about whether or not it makes it better. It's about, is nobody coming into my office? Is my office quiet? Is the phone not ringing? Okay, then all is well. I think there's a, there's a premium on having a quiet life that that's sort of the dinosaur that's going away. And I think the problem with that is wanting quiet all the time only sets you up for the biggest, loudest possible explosion. And most like, expensive, which is where it hits them. Yeah. Where and when have we ever been talking about America's Got Talent? And now what we're talking about is the biggest scandal the show has faced because of this avoidance of noise. Allegedly noise. It was basically not that much noise if you really think about it. She was like, let's do this. I'm not going to the press. I'm like, let's make things better. It was hardly noise. It was like a, I don't know, a, a murmur. Now, okay, let's play a different game maybe to round this out. Let's say you are a hardworking uh, entertainment host, much like yourself, but different. And you've been watching all this go down and you're very proud of Gabrielle Union and it all is, you know, you're like, yeah, good for her. Fuck her. You're listening to our podcast in your car, maybe. And then your agent calls and says, they want you to go in for this show. Oh, yeah. And you are a, I'm going to be kind. I'm not talking about you, Elaine, but you, the person, essentially a nobody. Mm-hmm. Then what? Then what? I want to believe that I'd call her. No, in this situation, you don't have her phone number in this situation, but sure. I, I want to believe that I would try to talk to her. Yeah, okay. And that I would try and like reach out to her and be like, hey, this is what's happened. Mm -hmm. Like any, if you take it away from showbiz and you go to any other industry, what many people do now is when they're offered a job somewhere, you ask around, what's it like to work there? Right. Right? Sure. Yes, of course. I think yes. this is familiar with people. Yes. What's it like to work there? Do you think I should work there? Mm -hmm. What should I expect? If I take the job, how should I approach it? Right. What should I ask for? Yeah, for sure. But if you know that this has gone down and her exit has made the way for your entrance and you know because you've been around for a while that maybe it's not going to be all that different. Mm -hmm. I just can't stop thinking about who they're going to get to fill those chairs next season. Yeah, that's a great question. And is it, like, is it kind of um, sour now? Yeah. Ironically, they wanted to freshen up the show and have they just made it more difficult to bring two more people in. Listen, 
at the same time, this is an industry. Everybody needs a fucking job. Oh, somebody's going to take it. No yeah. question. I, but if you thought that what she was doing was great and you were proud of the moves, as a lot of us, as you say, who don't get to make the decisions are, and then somebody says, oh, hey, do you want to come into the lion's den that you were just reading about on your couch? It's an interesting question. I think that we have to talk about it when that happens. When they announce who the next two AGT judges are, to, like we should talk about the thought process that goes into it and how they handle it. Because that in and of itself will be work. Not just accepting the work, but then the work that goes into either rationalizing it, justifying it, how it's presented. Will they be allowed to like speak? I'm really excited. Is the statement with the press release going to be like, I'm really excited to join this like this show for that's, you know, a staple on in, during the summer um, in America. I can't wait. Or is it? Or does it become that? It's almost its own catchphrase, right? Well, we're in a post-Gabrielle Union world yeah. now, so in this environment, we don't stand for this, that, mm-hmm. and this. I think it's a net positive for her. I really do. But I can see your face look at me and you think that I'm being too optimistic. I, I, it's not that I am wanting to be pessimistic. No. I just think that um, I... And I think that for her, ultimately, I want obviously the best for her. I think that as she has expressed over the last few days, what she did was really hard. Yeah. And it's a burden. It's a burden to have to be the person who goes to try and shake things up for the better. That in and of itself sometimes is not seen as a win by the person who's doing it. Of course not. Like when you talk to women of color who say, I just, fuck. I kind of just want to go to work. Like, wouldn't it be great for me not to have to be the advocate and just go to work and do the thing that I enjoy doing and then pack up at five o'clock and go home? Like, for them too, there is like a, what do you call it? A, a, a tax, you mean? A tax to Like pay. A, a labor. Exactly. And so it's in the same family as I want, I want to do an interview without being asked what it's like to be a black woman in this role. I want to, right? Of course. And so is it a net win? Of course. I want it to be a net win. I'm just saying that the shades of all of it here are that she still had to go through a certain trauma. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I guess my optimistic pessimism is that I think it wasn't the first time. And I don't think that it's... I don't think she was the only one to go through this, and I don't think that this is the first time. I think it's the first time she had enough clout that leaking the story created the firestorm that it did. Mm -hmm. And I think that the name recognition that it's gotten her, the number of conversations I've had about Gabrielle Union with people who would never have known who she was a week ago, I think have overall created a place that's going to be if not making her happy, because I hear you about the work of having to do this, but that make it worthwhile because she's now seen by those people as the kind of person who would do something like this. And that's what you can't pay for. The sort of, you know, for people to see you as, oh, that person is cute and awesome and smart and fun and also morally upstanding. I hope so. I really hope so for her. I love her. I think this is so, like, so powerful. And I, I think it, I, I can't imagine how hard it was. 
Well, I guess like you say, we have a date to see what she does next and what they do. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. All right. So even you can't escape this big blockbuster movie that's coming up uh, in a couple weeks. Um, because typically, what was it that you said on an episode, I think it was two seasons ago, uh, movies with numbers? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably did. That sounds like something I would yeah. say. This yeah. movie doesn't have a number in it, but it is like that kind of spectacle. Of course, it's the spectacle. It's the Star Wars movie. Star Wars Rise of Skywalker coming out soon. It's going to decimate everything. Yes. Um, and so they're starting promotion or they've been promoting it. J.J. Abrams does a talk show and he's like, yeah, I mean, we had a script that went missing and it, it showed up on eBay and then our executives at Disney, thankfully, were able to find it and take it down and buy it. Everybody was wondering, who was it who lost their script and left it under a bed? And now we know it's John Boyega. <laughs> he admitted it. <laughs> you sent me this and you were like, like your email was the equivalent of all those sounds. Well, I can't. What? How? Uh, uh. I am. My cortisol levels are through the <laughs> roof again. Like you don't lose a script. I'm scandalized by this. I was so shocked that you weren't as offended as I was because this is like there are. You know, you don't talk shit out of school. You don't say like, oh, my coworker's really shit to kiss and they have bad breath. Um, you don't say uh, whatever, you know, the production's a mess. And you don't lose a script. I just bang the table <laughs> in like exuberance because this is so scandalous to me. Especially like you don't lose Marvel scripts, Avengers scripts. You don't lose Star Wars scripts. You don't lose a Christopher Nolan script. Um, and Look, I've worked on things I'm very proud of. I've also worked on some things that are pretty rinky-dink. And on top of every script, there is a big, bold thing that says, uh, it, for this to fall into the wrong hands could cause irreparable harm. You know that thing at the bottom of yeah, the email yeah. sometimes? I, the fear of God is in me. Yes. I can't believe he's still speaking. <laughs> Well, especially when it's like Disney and Lucasfilm and all of that. Like when I say, yes, every script has that disclaimer, that notification on it. But again, the stakes are higher when it's much, these movies, right? Much, much higher. Like even Tarantino, when he was making Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they keep telling this fucking story about how like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio had to share a fucking script. Those two had to like pass one back and forth. What the I mean, that implies that they were paper, which is weird. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of them are all paper. But that's weird, too. I mean, I get that in the sense that if it's a paper script, then you can't email it to somebody by accident. And, you know, scripts were watermarked for a while uh, with the person's name, right? So that you'd know who lost it. Yeah. Uh, this wasn't that, I assume. Either that or someone really covered up for Boyegar. <laughs> 
Um, listen, he's a big like he's a big player yes. in the franchise. He's the the big three, right? It's Daisy Ridley, Oscar Isaac, and John Boyega. Yeah, and so. He was moving. He left it under the bed. He said, "Here's where I'll keep it safe." But then he got distracted. He said he got distracted. His distracted. His friends came over, and they started hanging out. And then I guess he was moving, and the housekeeper <laughs> found it. She didn't know how valuable it was. I think she listed it for something like eighty. Well, he's he made a joke, but it was cheap. It says sixty-five pounds. But I, if you know enough to put it on eBay, then you know that it's worth something. I wonder if it was sides, to be honest. Um, Okay. So a script uh, of this size and of this nature is a big affair, right? It's 110, 120 pages, maybe more in the case of this movie. Yeah. Um, And it's bound with a brad and whatever. Like, it looks like an official thing. Whereas sides are what's being shot that day. And they, for reasons... I guess for reasons. So the actors can hold them. You've seen them in press shots here and there. They're like a half-size page. Everything is shrunk down smaller. Mm-hmm. And they're usually curled up because actors or uh, screenwriters or whoever keep them like rolled up in their pockets so that they can refer to them quicker. And I've lost some sides before, I'll be honest. Like you get a set at the start of every day of what's going to be shot that day. Yeah. And then if you leave it down somewhere, you didn't put your name on it right at the beginning of the day, you can say to the AD, can I have more sides, please? Yeah. I wonder if it was sides, then I can see how it looks like a curled up piece of paper under his bed that he tossed under there when he was moving one day or when he got home one day and it just looked like a curled up piece of paper. Then I can sort of forgive him a little bit more. But is it possible that maybe it was sides and they've maybe exaggerated it to make a really good story? Because J.J. Abrams was like, we almost gave away the ending. Like, everybody wants to know, not just, like, we all want to see the movie to see what happens, but we want to know what the big secrets are, right? Like, ugh, I don't know what what still secrets there might be, but, like, what happens at the end? Does Ray kill Kylo? Does she turn him? Blah, 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 blah. And so J.J. Abrams had set it up so that the big secrets, yes, the big mystery, the resolution of this three-movie saga could have been out there, was this close to getting out there, and it didn't in the nick of time. It does add to the whole anticipation, no? Oh, absolutely. Not to be a conspiracy theorist. No, for sure. I mean, you, yes, there are two ways for this to go. If you're saying, are they like basically fluffing us uh, for this movie? Sure. I absolutely. And these sides could have been, you know, what happens is that the script is photocopied in the order that it's made, but not necessarily the order it's shot. So they just strike through with a black pen what you're not shooting that day. You can still read it. But it could have been a whole bunch of boring, like, one-liners of, you know, uh, Stormtrooper number seven saying to Stormtrooper number (laughs) 19, things like that. Yeah, you're right. It could have been nothing. And they were like, but it says in the, you know, in the header, it says uh, Rise of Skywalker at the top. Okay, but let me ask you this. Yes. I'm still having palpitations. (laughs) We talked about, um, I guess, maybe nine months ago, last season, we laughed at Tom Holland being the the person who was offered up as the sacrificial Avenger, um, who was like 
the person who was going to blow the secret. So they had to keep things from him and may continue to keep things from him and like shoot only on a green screen with him so he wouldn't blab. Right. And now John Boyega is sort of that equivalent. Yes. With Star Wars. The guy who lackadaisically loses a script. Yes. So in terms of work assignments, Uh are we seeing a theme emerging? Of the lovable young boy becomes the patsy (laughs) for the promo. Often British. Well, like, look, it can't be Ray, right? Because it can't be Daisy Ridley. Because we know why. Yes. Because the fanboys hate her. Yes. And any… Because of the misogyny. Yes. So any excuse to, she didn't train long enough to be mad at her, it can't be her, right? Yep. And it can't be Oscar Isaac for reasons I'm not totally sure why. But, like, I guess because he doesn't seem like a story like this is believable. Yeah. Like, think about the story. It's It was under my bed, and then <laughs> the boys came over, and I kind of got distracted. Yeah. yeah. And then… He's got a kid and a wife, and yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. be goddamn responsible. <laughs> right. So, yes, you're right. This yeah. is the person to whom this can be attributed the same way that if… Uh, I don't know, Jeremy Renner walked around suddenly <laughs> spitting out spoilers. They'd be like, do you not fucking understand what you're messing with? Well, I just, I think that, listen, three makes a trend, right? We've got two so far, two big franchises, two people, young British actors have been outed as the blabbermouths or who've jeopardized the whole thing. Yeah. Could have been jeopardized. Tom Holland and John Boyega could, John Boyega could have reckon, wrecked everything. I wonder, I wonder if we're going to see this, people are going to be like, oh, kind of a fun game. Next time we have a big franchise and secrets to blow or secrets to keep, should we assign it to somebody and turn it into a thing? Who do we pin it on where it becomes a fun thing and a cutesy headline? That's right. Instead of a, an indictment and an incitement to commit the Harakiri. That's right. Yeah. I mean… I'm really glad that you say that because, uh, A, the more you think about it, the more I buy it. And I also buy my own theory that I bet it was sides full of nothing in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, John Boyega's touched these wrinkled pieces of paper. Right. But uh, I'm glad you say that because I was so mad at him and his negligence. Do you remember when you and I were in New York a couple of years ago and you were with me all day, and yet somehow my wallet disappeared? Yes. And you can verify that it was through no fault of yeah. my own. It just fucking vamoosed, yes? Yes. I looked less hard for that wallet in the middle of New York <laughs> than I would have looked for this script. I Did it turn up? Never. God, I, I just, I'm mad. I, I just don't, because we, uh, there was no opportunity for you to get pickpocketed. Nope. Anyway, whatever. It's one of those things, like a sock. But um, I, yeah, I also would like to be credited if this does emerge as a marketing ploy, a scheme that people do on press tours for big movies. I, I would like us to be um, acknowledged to be the people who pointed out that it was an emerging trend. Okay. I like that, but then I'm going to give you one extra one-up here. Hit me. So first it was, oh, spoilers, and he has to be on a green screen so he can't say spoilers, Right. right? Then it's, oh, I lost my script and it wound up on Uh eBay. Ha, ha, ha. So what's the next one? Is it an accidental TikTok wearing your character's costume? Mm. Or what's the next thing, you know? I I like it. What is the next thing? I don't know. Because 
people more creative than me are going to be hired to like invent this. But I like to think that this is something we're onto. Yeah, me too. I'm into it. But don't do not, but don't not do it because we're onto you. <laughs> do no, it. See if you can try and fool us. This is a good one. Yes. So we've been talking about big movies. It's the season to like release all these blockbusters. Movie that did really well this past weekend, Knives Out, exceeded expectations, ensemble cast. Here's the Star Wars connection. Ryan uh, Johnson directed Knives Out, conceived of it, wrote it. Um, and of course, he's the director of The Last Jedi. Um, I want to talk about one of the cast members because this is an ensemble. It's excellent. I've been, uh, yeah. You're going to love this. Movie. I can't wait. I've been waiting just to drag the exact right person. Yeah. Because I can't have somebody who's less than rabid to go with me. It's so good. And I, I love, I think you're going to love it because you're a theater person. So you exaggerate movements and <laughs> reactions. Oh, I can tell already that it's camp on top of <laughs> yes, camp. Yes, exactly. I can't wait. Like, these people are hammy. I think I'm going to see you about nine times this weekend because otherwise <laughs> I'd say we should go together. <laughs> so anyway, but one of the people in the film, and, and she's amazing as she always is, is Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh -huh. And she did an amazing interview with Rachel Syme uh, for The New Yorker. Um, which I sent to you, and I am obsessed with her, and it made me think of last week we talked about Jean Smart, and like I hope that we can continue this season to talk about broads, you know, because you and I love a broad. Yeah. And Jean Smart is a broad. Yeah. And Jamie Lee Curtis is a broad. Just like kind of sassy ass bitches oh, who have been around God. for a while. I know some things. And they kind of have that delicious thing of don't give a fuck, but they kind of, the reason they caught our interest is because they a little bit didn't give a fuck even when they were supposed to. Yeah. And you know you're going to get like the real from them. Right. I'm not going to talk to Jamie Lee Curtis and she's not going to fucking fake her way through an interview. She doesn't like a question, you'll know. She likes a question, you'll know. If she's impatient, you'll know. But it's not, like you won't take it personally. It's not cutting. I just love her. And I loved this interview. Well, yeah, I guess the other side of that is that people like that don't do an interview if they don't have something to say. Yes. Right? Yeah. And she had a lot to say. She had stories. Like, it would, she's a great interview. And it's in the mold of a little bit like old school Hollywood where an interview wasn't just, what did you think about this? And how did you play this character? It's a real conversation. She takes it to very unexpected places. She's telling stories about Betty Davis and how one time she was like the apartment manager of some fucking Hollywood star building, this condo building. Um, then she tells a story about being on set. Like she's also what we love about broads are they're accumulator and collectors of stories. Yeah, well, and especially because, especially in Jamie Lee Curtis's case, and she's very straightforward about it, um, they've been around long enough to have had the story. That's what right? a broad is. Yeah. And I mean, there is, and I think this is sort of your point in bringing this up, there's a certain amount of privilege mm -hmm. in being one of those broads, not just in being around long enough to have the stories, but also in having that don't give a fuck kind yeah. of vibe back then. I mean, remember Angelica Houston did an interview like this, I think last spring, like just – 
telling the tales yeah. on everybody, dumping everything everywhere. And you don't necessarily have to agree with them, but it's the the don't give a fuckness of it all. Ain't no varnish on it. No. And Jamie Lee Curtis, too, what is amazing right now, like she is last year when Halloween came out and she went back to being Lori. Yes. Um, it set a record for she at the time was 60 years old. I think she's 61 now. At the time, the highest box office opening weekend for a woman of a certain age. Yeah. And a year later, she's like, oh, I'm back in this amazing movie again. Um, that uh, Ryan Johnson has directed and everybody loves it and it just made a killing at the box office. Like, she's dipping in once a year with, like, box office wins, Jamie Lee Curtis. You know? Yeah, because, of course, she's not trying so hard. It's not so desperate that you're like, oh, here, like, let's see what she's doing this time. If there's not a great movie to do once a year, she's not going to do the movie, right? let's be clear, that's not an age thing. Like, you know... 25-year-olds make bad movies once in a while, and 65-year-olds make bad movies. Helen Mirren doesn't make good movies all the time. Yeah, remember that one? Anyway, yes, exactly. (laughs) Right? So for her, it's, yeah, I'm going to wait for the thing. Yeah. Or is it? I mean, let's go through the the IMDb, which has fucked us sometimes. We want to, like, call out IMDb for fucking us last week. Fucked me. Either has a block over our recording studios slash your dining room table, or it updated hours after I left, which again, it was Thanksgiving weekend. I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, if you were listening last week, Ryan Reynolds does in fact have more projects in the pipeline than I might have led us to believe. Including one with Will Ferrell. Then IMDB might have led us to believe, but I have verifiable proof that that's how it looked that day. Um... All right, so Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah, I there. I'm not saying that there are only great movies. There are like a couple of weird things. I don't know what this movie acceptable loss is, but that's a terrible title. It's a terrible title. So I'm gonna assume that it's a terrible movie. Uh, Tika Sumter is in it, um, but yeah, it doesn't look like it went anywhere. So she was just like, no, I'll do this one, but I'll also do a Knives Out and I'll do a Halloween. There is a Halloween 2021. Oh. Huh. Okay. Uh, uh, on, on, and a Halloween kills due out next year on this. Anyway, um, but again, one of those broads who's like, yeah, I'll do it. Why not? Looks like fun. If it doesn't play, it doesn't play. Because she has nothing to lose. And there are a million reasons that she has nothing to lose. And when we started talking, go you just read Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Uh- <laughs> A girl gets bored. I'm not going to hold that against her. So here's the thing. When we started talking about Jamie Lee Curtis and this article, I thought, I wonder who's going to read the quote. Uh, But then, of course, it became apparent that there is quote after quote after quote. So let's play the game that we played last week. Which is the one that you love that stuck out to you? Oh, I mean... Okay, I will say that I I could hear her voice reading this interview, right? So all of it, which is the weak answer, because I could, if when I can hear her telling the Betty Davis story, I'm just, I'm already transfixed and I want to keep talking to her. But I do, if you want me to pick just one, I like the one where she talks about how she got the part in Halloween. 
Okay, go on. She says that essentially it was down to her and somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then she says, yeah, and I probably got it because of who my parents are. Right. I have no illusions about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just admit that. And that's where it is. Would she have said it back when she was whatever, 20, 25? I don't know. But now at 61, yeah, it's, mm-hmm, these were my parents. My mother is Janet Lee, uh, who was in Psycho. Yeah. So the woman who was in Psycho, her daughter to play in this horror movie, I'm pretty sure people would have made that kind of cool connection and that was a selling feature. And my dad's Tony Curtis. That's how I got my job, everybody. Right. And there's the corresponding quote where she says, you know, I've never really worked hard a day in my life, right? Which is sort of adjacent to that, which I love. But when you say, would she have said it at 20 or 25? I would be all set to say, no, I don't know if she would, except for, can I read you my favorite quote? Yes. It's actually, uh, I'm going to compress an answer that she gives to a question uh, about her beginnings as an actor. And she so they say, you know, you you did a year of college and you didn't go back, uh, Rachel Syme says. And she answers with, you have to remember, I had gray teeth because <laughs> my mother took tetracycline when she was pregnant. <laughs> right? My teeth were gray. I was not pretty. I was cute. I had a lot of personality. My lack of any school success, I made up for in personality. And then she goes on to talk about how she went to this one college uh, where my mother was the most famous person to ever have graduated. It was the only school that took me with my D plus average and my 80 combined, 840 combined SAT. That's like, I think that's just above writing your name on the SAT. Right. Nobody's that honest. It's glorious. Yeah, it is glorious. I... I think I'm pretty sure generally with what people know of her, they know her to be this kind of candid person. But reading this interview was just a joy. Like the minute I finished it, I was like, do I I need to descend? And I'm pretty sure that you also opened it up and you didn't stop. You couldn't stop. Well, like you say, it wasn't like reading an interview. It was like sitting down with her and I could hear her and I could see her the way her mouth moves, telling me things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you say abroad, I mean, I'm thinking of the Jamie Lee Curtis movies back in the day, of Trading Places, of My Girl, which she references here, of what else did we love back then? Like these, she was the leading lady, but she wasn't like a, like a leading actress. You know what I mean? She wasn't a beautiful bombshell. They had these movies where they were like, yeah, we're going to pin it on this kind of wacky girl with a sardonic kind of talking out of the side of her mouth and gray teeth. Which, and one exception, which is why this movie is great, is A Fish Called Wanda. Uh, Yeah. yeah, She was the, I mean, she's Wanda. It's not that she didn't play those roles necessarily. It's that they let those roles be her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They yes. let them not be bombshells. Yeah. Uh, My Girl, again, would have been a much more run-of-the-mill movie if the stepmother character had been played by, God, I don't know, like some blonde. Yeah. And you could see a world where that would have happened, right? But it becomes more textured and more interesting. 
And same with True Lies. Oh my, yes, God, yes. True Lies would have yeah. been a way more boring movie. But it's the 25th anniversary, like this year. It was 1994. Is my math right? 2004, 2014, yes. Mm-hmm. It's the 20, like that movie came out 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, I'm not saying it would play today, but back then it was a huge movie. And I loved it then. When it's on, I still watch it. And to your point, she's, hysterical in the movie. Like when she, you know, just to remind everybody, the whole conceit part of it, like the B plot, but also the A plot is that Arnold Schwarzenegger has to lie to his wife about what his job is. Right. And then um, she then ends up, then he sets her up to meet this fake spy and she thinks that she's a spy who's hiding spy shit from him. Like it's like a double, uh, <laughs> yes. not double indemnity, but it's a, yes. yeah. But she's completely inept, obviously, but hysterical. The fish out of water sort of thing and the physical comedy and her reactions. I mean, she makes, as you said, that movie about a fish called water or uh, My Girl. Yeah. True lies they easily could have cast, whatever, someone forgettable. A woman. They cast her. And then it becomes a movie that we're still talking about 25 years later. I love… I think that you like it too, yeah? I love it. In (laughs) fact, I'm mentally… Like half of me is here, but half of me is like, (laughs) when can I go home and watch that on demand? Yes. Um, And that's Jamie Lee Curtis. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know if we can draw an exact comparison last week to Gene Smart because I do want to try to make this some sort of series or at least appreciation note that we're doing, but it feels like, yeah, lately there, we have remembered why she's so fucking awesome. Okay. Well, let's do something. Sometimes we do this and we're like, well, who do you think is the Jamie Lee Curtis of today? Mm. And I think that that is, maybe that's a troubling question to ask for Mm. a lot of reasons. Yeah. But maybe the question to ask is what Like, who gets, what is the Jamie Lee Curtis quality that somebody needs to get for us to be talking about them like this in another 20 years? Am I going to be shot for saying Jennifer Lawrence? mm -hmm. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is already much more, uh, she's much more of an Oscar winner in all the ways that that means. She's much more of a red carpet than Jamie Lee Curtis ever was. Um, I'm about to be shot myself because I have an unorthodox suggestion. I had two in my mind. So I wonder if who you're about to say is my second. Can I write it down? You can, but it's not going to be because you're going to punch me for this one. Oh, okay. Then um, hang on. Let me – I fucking forgot her name though. Well, that's not ideal. (laughs) I can see her face. Hang on. I'm just going to write it down, then you tell me, and then I'll show you. Okay. Okay, go. Get shot. I wonder if the kind of person who's going to have this Jamie Lee Curtis energy in 20-odd years is like a Hillary Duff. Oh. Never. No. That's… Well, here. Here. This was my name. You wrote down Anna Kendrick. 
I mean, there's a, I see why you wrote that. I sort of get what you're saying. I think the reason I am thinking of Hillary Duff is because, and I had no, I no intention of going here, but I have such appreciation for Hillary Duff doing a remake of Lizzie McGuire, not because I watched that show. Yeah. Because I was just too old for it or we didn't get the channel or whatever. But because I think there is something so um, tongue-in-cheek about somebody going back to a character they played when they were 12 Mm -hmm. and not being like, I'm too big for it. I've gotten so much past that. I don't want to go back there. We've heard people say that kind of shit over and over, right? Somebody having the kind of wherewithal and tongue-in-cheekness to do that at whatever Hilary Duff is, she's either like 28 or 40, and I'm not sure which. But I, but I, I kind of feel like having a sense of humor about yourself maybe is part of the Jamie Lee Curtis legacy that she could inherit, which given how much, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was linked with Lindsay Lohan because of Freaky uh-huh. Friday uh-huh. is, uh, you know, is not ironic. Hillary Duff is 32 years of age. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll check back in. Yeah, but you didn't hate that as much as I, I expected you to. I did not hate that. I liked it better than my Jennifer Lawrence. Um, so wait, let me see. So in our podcast's uh, 40th-ish anniversary, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, that would be what? Well, you're really good uh, at the math. 30 years from now. So in yeah, 35th anniversary, uh-huh. we'll check back and see if this prediction was correct. See who it was. All right, very good. Yeah. Um, and on that note… Thank Are we doing a li- heads up? Oh, okay. I went first last time, so um, you mm-hmm. are going. What category are you choosing? Um, I will go, um, well, I think we should just stick with superstars. I, I think that's fine. Okay. Um, are you ready? I am. Um, almost married Julia Roberts. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Yes. One of the most powerful family who married a basketball player. Uh, 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 Chris Jenner's one of her daughters. Oh, uh, Khloe Kardashian. Yes. Former president of the United States. Obama. Yes. His lover is Anna Kornikova. And he's the son of... I can be a hero, Enrique Iglesias. (laughs) Yes. Not her. Her sister is Dakota. Elle Fanning. And she has an umlaut in her name. Uh, Chloe Sevigny. No, the other one. Uh, Same Chloe first Grace name. Morris. Yes. I don't know. Um, produces the Golden Globes. I the company. Uh, oh God, I don't know. Yes, you do. Uh, Dick Clark Productions. Oh, I like, I started seeing that dog, not the sit ubu sit dog. <laughs> Who's the other golden dog in the Will Smith credits? Oh. That's what happened in my brain just now. How many? You didn't know Nate Burkus? I, it would have taken me so long to come up with Nate Burkus. I don't know. Okay, what I got, did you get? I got One, two, six. three, four, five, six. Okay. Okay. Hey, I thought you would have gotten the umlaut right away because, okay. All right. I got the right name, just the wrong one. Uh, oh, uh, Friday Night Lights and, uh, and Black Panther and Fruitvale Station and he's super hot. Oh, Michael B. Jordan. Yes. 
Uh, oh, uh, she's the last of the Golden Girls. Oh, Betty White. Yes. Uh, she's Canadian and she's like a bird. I'm like a bird. Nelly Furtado. Yes. Uh, he's had a million names and he used to date Jennifer Lopez. Puffy yes. Sean Combs. Yes. Uh, he had a late night show and he was not saying racist things at America's Got Talent back then. He was on CBS. Uh, Craig? Nope. The other one, uh, more famous than that. Oh, David Letterman. Yes. Uh, she is, uh, dating Colin Jost. Scarlett Johansson. Yes. <laughs> uh, also. That's the clue? Canadian, blonde, Baywatch. Pamela Anderson. Yes. Uh, she's, oh, you'll never get this. She was, a. Uh, Those were way easier. I think I... Mm-hmm. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven. Uh, oh, uh, I. Okay. Well. All right. I feel good. I feel refreshed. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and leave comments and reviews. They matter to us and they help other people find the podcast. And uh, your comments and reviews and emails are very hilarious, including the one that somebody sent us about the grace of Jennifer Anderson at Thanksgiving this year. Uh, just know that we we really love that. Uh, very, very funnily observed. And please send us your topic suggestions. The Jamie Lee Curtis came from somebody, a reader, who sent it to me um, and suggested that we talk about her, and we did. So thank you so much. We will be back next week. Until then, work hard. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.